All right. Well, now it is time for a little bit of good news. And Joel, you can throw my slideshow up when you're ready. Because if you remember back to the, you know, if you can go put yourself back in time a few years now, you remember at the beginning of the pandemic when we were all supposed to stay home all the time and there wasn't really much to do except just watch or read the news that was so full of dread about what was happening or what might happen next. But during that same period of time, uh, one of the most popular things on the internet was an attempt to offer kind of an alternative to all this bad news. And that was when the actor John Krasinski, who some people know as Jim from The Office, some people might recognize as the next iteration of Jack Ryan from Tom Clancy's stuff, or, but he went in his house, cobbled together a little news set, and began producing SGN, which was some good news, which was an online news show just entirely about heartwarming stories and good things that were happening out in the world. And so the pandemic has passed, but I wonder if it caused us to be even more focused on the bad news in our world. Like we had to have every shred of information about every bad thing because we might need it. It kind of, we got into that mode, I think, some of us through the pandemic. A lot of people carry anxious burdens related to war or climate change or political shifts, often things that they can't do very much about. And it's not that you shouldn't be aware of what's happening in the wider world or even look for ways that you might respond to it. Probably we need more of that and not less. But something has gone wrong if we carry this information about every random tragedy, every leader and law that we don't like, every complicated global problem, and we just hold on to that in such a way that we feel gloomy or depressed or hopeless. You, you can't find joy in the life right in front of you that way. So we have been studying the Old Testament book of Micah in July, and so far it's pretty much been bad news. Micah, speaking for God as his prophet, told his people that they'd become corrupt, that their religion had been corrupted by the influence of idols and foreign gods, and that was enabled by their own kings and priests who manipulated the religion of the nation for their own gain. And when religion detaches itself from its loving creator, from our loving creator, ugly things happen. And in Micah's day, that meant a tremendous amount of greed and injustice, the wealthy and the powerful took the land and homes of the vulnerable. They bribed or threatened their way into acquiring whatever it is they wanted. And many people then believed that God still wouldn't let anything bad happen to them, despite how wickedly they'd acted. But after centuries of this going on, God was not willing to endure anymore. And so Micah told them that the destruction of their nations was coming. He said that the armies of the Assyrian Empire would come and they would destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. They would ravage the southern kingdom of Judah. Later on, the Babylonians would come and destroy Jerusalem itself, along with God's temple, and carry many of the people, uh, the survivors, back to Babylon as captives. Micah prophesied that this would happen, and it happened. And the kingdoms of the people that God had rescued from Egypt, the people he'd established in a new land, the people he'd chosen in order to bless them so that they would be a blessing to the world, they were literally wiped off the map. And that could very well have been the end of their story. But Micah is not all bad news, so it's time to get to the good news. Good news for some of those who first heard it. Good news for some today who choose faithfulness to God in a world that sometimes makes that pretty hard. So there are two passages with good news I'm going to read so that we can explore. First, Micah 2, verses 12 and 13. And then our main passage is Micah 4, 1 through 7. 
So if you want to look up one or the other in your Bibles, you have a moment for that, and those will be projected up on the screen as well. Micah 2, starting at verse 12, and then Micah 4, starting from verse 1 at the beginning of the chapter. So let's seek to receive now from God's Word. Micah 2, starting at verse 12. I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like a sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. One who breaks open the way will go before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. And then turning to chapter 4, starting at verse 1. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways so that we may walk in His paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples. And will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up the sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame. I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away by a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. So there's the good news. Despite the defeat and destruction that the kingdoms of Israel and Judah would face, God had not thrown in the towel. He hadn't decided to just let evil win. And that first passage from Micah chapter 2 promises that God will regather His people. Like a a shepherd recovering lost sheep uh, and returning them to the safety of their pen. God will ensure that a remnant of the people would be brought back together. And who will do this, we read? Well, a savior, a king who breaks open the way for them. And then when we turn to chapter 4, there is more good news there. First, it says the mountain of the Lord's temple. That's Mount Zion. That's where David brought the Ark of the Covenant, where Solomon later built the temple. It will return to prominence in the world. It says that people from all over the world will go there. A stream of people will flow to the, to the Mount Zion where they can learn to walk in the ways of God. God will speak from His mountain and the world will listen. And when they learn to walk in God's ways and live accordingly, there will be peace. Disputes will be resolved. Weapons will be cast aside. No one will need to train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree and no one will make them afraid. People will have security. They will have what they need to provide for themselves, 
and they will have no fear that someone will try and take it away from them. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles, and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. The former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to you, daughter Zion. So when I try and understand and absorb these prophecies, there are three questions that come into my mind that I want to use to guide uh, the rest of the sermon. And those questions are these. First of all, what are, what are the events Micah is talking about? Second, what would this have meant for Micah's original audience? And third, what should this mean for me? So we'll get into that one and start with what are, what are the events that Micah is talking about here? And, you know, what is this good news? What are the things that are going to happen? And it would be convenient if there was a single answer to that question, but there, there isn't. When we're trying to understand Old Testament prophecy, there's this concept that's pretty important to, to know about, and it's called progressive fulfillment. And progressive fulfillment means that if there's a future prediction by a prophet, it might not be fulfilled all at once. There may be a partial fulfillment of the prophecy in the short term, and some, sometimes then another kind of sort of fulfillment of that that comes later, and there may be aspects of the prophecy that still are yet to come. They're still in the future. So, in this example, some of what Micah prophesied happened not that long afterward, historically speaking at least. When Jerusalem was destroyed, when its people were taken to Babylon as captives, they lived there as exiles for 50, maybe 70 years before God made it possible for them to go home, to be regathered, to rebuild in Jerusalem and get their temple again. And so that's certainly one way we would understand I will surely gather you, O Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. But what we read in chapter 4 goes way beyond this, right? The mountain of the Lord's temple is exalted above all other hills. The people stream into it. When does that happen? And when the temple was rebuilt, and particularly later when it was renovated, it did draw people from many other nations to come, to visit, to learn, to worship. But this didn't bring about world peace, that temple, along with Jerusalem itself, was destroyed yet again, this time by the Romans during a Jewish rebellion not too long after the time of Jesus. But before that happened, the word of the Lord did go out from Jerusalem by the early Christians who took the message of Jesus from Jerusalem out to the rest of the known world. And many of them became exiles when their home, Jerusalem, was destroyed. And those early Christians, they still had a king. They had a, a ruler that was promised in Micah chapter 5, which is probably the other passage in Micah that a lot of people have heard before because it's featured in the Christmas story. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. So you can point to one level of fulfillment early on, the return of the Jewish exiles to Jerusalem. Christians can identify some elements here that point to Jesus and taking his message out from Jerusalem to the wider world as the church began. But there are also things here that have not happened yet. 
things that will happen at what sometimes, if we want to use the fancy word for it, it's the eschaton. It's, that's also known as judgment day, the final event in the divine plan, the end of the world as we know it. When they will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks, a nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And everyone will sit under their own vine, under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. And we see echoes of this when we go to the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible, where, which speaks of the new heavens and the new earth, and where we even see the return of the, the tree of life from the Garden of Eden being depicted again, and its leaves are healing the nations. No longer will there be any curse. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Now, if you've lost track of what the question is at this point, I guess it's still on the screen, so that's good. But otherwise, we were talking about what are the events Micah is talking about. And while there are a few possible events uh, through this multiple fulfillment, they do have one thing in common. They all represent future hope. More than one expression of future hope, but it boils down to that, that there is hope for the future. No matter how dark things look now, no matter how scary things might get, those who trust in the Lord will find Him faithful. Now, the second question that I asked was, what did this mean for Micah's audience? And I'm not entirely qualified to answer that on behalf of people from a very different culture 1,300 years ago. But when you interpret the Bible, it's a good idea to wrestle with this a bit because while these words may be for us, they were not written to us. So and that's an important aspect of the Bible that sometimes people don't spend time on, and it causes some strange things to happen in their interpretation. God wanted us to have these words, but they were written to a very different group of people in a very different time. And so I think particularly of the victims of all this corruption and oppression that Micah rails against. They've been abused. They lack the power to do anything about it. You can imagine their anger and their despair, perhaps, all the feelings that come with being robbed, being wronged watching their homes and their land taken away. Meanwhile, the, the so-called priests and prophets of the land say that everything is fine. God is blessing our nation. And for that audience, Micah's words mean that God isn't overlooking the injustice all around them, that God cares about them, that God is angry at their oppressors, and that the people responsible are going to be punished. Good. But what about them? since that punishment is also going to destroy their whole nation. So there is a, a message of hope here for the, for the minority of Israelites who have held on and remained faithful, that remnant. God is going to regather them. He's going to shepherd them into their frightening future and then into a bright future. He'll send a new king to lead them, a truly good king this time, who will restore things to what they should be. But you see, I don't know how comforting that would be to me in that situation. If you told me my community was going to be destroyed and many of its people lost, but someday it will re be rebuilt and be a much better place than it is now, I would probably still mostly be worried about the imminent death and destruction side of that thing. But maybe it would still matter to be told, you are right. Everything is a horrible mess, and the people who've hurt you have done a great evil. Things will be set right, but it's it's going to be a painful journey, even for those who still want to please God. So hold on. Keep the faith. God can be trusted to make things 
right. It's good news, but it's not the easiest good news to swallow. Third question was, what should this mean for me? Taking things into 2023, how can this help me be a better Jesus follower? And there are a number of possible answers to that question. Again, of course, Scripture is much too rich for there to be just one thing to glean from it. But for me, this time around, my answer really just came back to peace. When I look to the portion of Micah's prophecy that is still awaiting fulfillment, it offers these words of hope for the way that the world should be, the way that the world will be according to the promises we receive here. It speaks of people recognizing that God's way is right and lining up to learn how to walk in His paths, a moral revolution. Micah describes a world at peace where weapons aren't required, where no one trains for war anymore. People have enough. They're content with what they have instead of trying to take from others, and God makes sure it stays that way. And those who suffered will be regathered and restored. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles, and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. I know some people worry that the world is barreling toward destruction, that humanity's not going to make it because of war or climate or AI and other technology. And I don't know what's going to happen next. We may do ourselves a great deal of harm with these tools at our disposal. But if the Bible can be trusted, then the future is not destruction, it is peace. When God's irresistible kingdom will be ushered in on this earth by Christ the King and will continue eternally on the new earth, as one commentator puts it. Compared to those that Micah first wrote to, I know that I'm not experiencing a great deal of injustice. But one thing can be true for any audience here. You can have personal peace from God even when the world around you is a mess. This is a matter of faith, faith that there is a God who cares for us, faith that we are accepted by God thanks to what Jesus has done for us, and faith that a God who truly loves us will set things right. And that means there's more going on than what we see in a world that, that we know has too much suffering, where too many people live short or, or miserable lives, where too much mistreatment of people made in the image of God happens right in front of our eyes every day. And it means that there is more to our future than just kind of wandering into oblivion. There is a point and a purpose to what happens, and the choices we make matter for us and for those around us. Maybe we'll bring a little bit of New Testament in here with Romans 5, 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access to faith by this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So through Jesus comes peace, peace with God and hope even in suffering, thanks to the love that God has poured into our hearts. 
So taking all of this, I would offer two, or I guess uh, a word to two different kinds of people, those who need peace and those who could bring about peace. And you might be both of those kinds of people at the same time. If you are here and know that you are unsettled or anxious or fearful or for one reason or another, Micah has something to say to us, that God has not forgotten or abandoned you, even if your circumstances aren't what they should be. God does not work on our timeline, but that doesn't mean that He will not right those things that have been wrongs and that He will not restore what is broken. This tells us that God sees you and that God cares for you. We can be thankful that Christian faith is an incredible resource for those who want to push back against our anxious age. We're exhorted to encourage one another, to share our burdens in community with the church, within the church, and we believe that prayer is real and effective. Philippians 4, 4, and 7 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do we not want peace, peace that rises above our circumstances? Well, we're told if we want that, then practice gratitude. Rejoice over all the good in your life. We're told treat others well. Let your gentleness be evident to all. We're told to pray. In every situation, giving thanks and asking God for what we need. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Many wise Christians read and pray the Psalms, for example, which describe holding on to faith and hope through all kinds of challenging circumstances. There are a wealth of other helpful practices to draw on as well in this. But we're called to do more than seek peace for ourselves. We're also called to help bring about peace in our world. Believing that our world is headed toward restoration and peace, our privilege as followers of Jesus is to help inject some of that future glory into our messy present. 1 Timothy 2, 1-4 says, I urge you, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, for those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. And pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Or if we read from James 3, where it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Well, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, and then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Or we can go to the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And so that, to me, is part of what it means to follow Jesus, that my hope for a future of peace in God's kingdom would inspire me to work for peace in my relationships, in my community, and even across this world in ways that I can This peace is anchored in thanksgiving and in prayer. So let's us go to prayer now, seeking peace for ourselves and for the world around us. Lord Jesus, I I pray 
to you, that you would, through your Holy Spirit, bring peace to those who, who need it most here this morning, for those who are carrying anxious burdens, for those who are fearful for situations that they, they know they can't control, but which bring them worry or, or fear or, or just, just cause hurt in their souls because people they care about are, are being hurt or abused or making poor decisions because they have fears for their own futures because they are in a, a season of loss. God, whatever it may be, I pray that you would meet them where they are, that you would reach out your hand to them and help them to know that you are there. And that you would remind them of your words to us that, that there is peace to be found through gratitude, through the love of others, and through prayer, particularly through turning to you in prayer. And God, I pray for all of us here that you would renew our faith in the good future that awaits, in the peace that you are going to bring to this world, in the restoration that you're going to bring to this world, that we would not fear tomorrow, that we would not build our lives planning on you know, doom or destruction or, or planning on a poor end, but that we would be just inspired and given passion by the promises that you give so that we can take a little bit of that future peace, that, that future hope, that restoration, and God, that you would help us to bring some of that into the present. Lord Jesus, may your kingdom come. And let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.